if all of us are trying to be important, none of us are going to be able to be ourselves. And so I am coming to a place where I'm, I'm having to be comfortable being myself and trying to put things into perspective and put things into order. And you'll get there quicker if you slow down. You have to give yourself space to even think because so many of us are just surviving that it's impossible to even recognize like the Holy Spirit's presence even in your life because you're rushing to the next appointment. And I, I see this so much in this next generation. So I'm really passionate about just being honest about my own journey and hopefully inspiring a lot of us to slow down and be present where we are and be faithful in the season and the position that we have right now without looking for something more to make us something. That was Heather Thompson Day, and this is the Things Above Podcast. My guests today on the Things Above Podcast to have a Things Above conversation are Seth Day and Heather Thompson Day. Seth Day is, a, a, is currently a full-time instructor teaching courses in grief and loss, as well as public speaking. Seth has an MA in Human Service Counseling from Regent University and is currently pursuing a second MA in Educational Psychology from Andrews University. He is passionate about youth and young adult ministry, having served as a youth and young adult pastor in Denver. I love Denver, you guys know that. And working for several years in public schools with at-risk youth. Heather Thompson Day is an Associate Professor of Communication at Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan. She's the author of eight books, including It's Not Your Turn and a book we're going to talk about today that they co-authored. I'll see you tomorrow. So welcome to the Things Above podcast, Seth and Heather. What an honor to be here with you. Yeah, thank you. We're excited. Oh, man, this is great. I, Yeah, I've, Heather, I've followed your work for a while now, and um, I've, I've listened to you do talks online. And so I feel like I kind of know you sort of we're in best a weird friends. way that we're pals. <laughs> and, uh, and I've watched some of, of Seth as well. And uh, you guys seem really fun. So when you write in the stuff you write in the book, that's about painful stuff. I just think, no, they're a perfect couple and everyone loves them. So I, the credibility factor, you just seem too wonderful. But I so when I'm reading these stories about what was one of like the I hate Heather Club or something like, that <laughs> couldn't never fathom happened. such yeah. a thing. <laughs> I, I really couldn't. I yeah, it's like no. And this this may get chopped from from the actual episode. But do people tell you you look like Mike and Rachel from Suits? Oh yes, I get. You mean um, what Meghan Markle? Mar yes, yes, and yes. Do you, just so you know, yes. I've been called the Duchess, and it's my favorite compliment oh okay ever. okay <laughs> and then seth you would be like the guy who plays mike on suits there you go <laughs> do you okay. know the show do you, do you, you don't know that he doesn't he's not I, do you haven't watched the show i Listen, haven't yeah I'm, I'm gonna trust you because yeah. and you're a christian no it, no actually i can't recommend this probably has to get edited out because it's not in any way a sanctified show but okay. it's a good show i mean it's popular and it's over they don't it doesn't exist anymore but it was great um Okay, so we got that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, this will be fun today. So, so the question I ask every author, in this case, co-authors uh, of a book is, why did you write this book? 
You know, for me, I have been studying communication for, I don't know, over a decade. And I kept finding these themes in communication, which is essentially, it's not just that we want relationship with other people. It's that we actually need them in order to survive, that we are Mm. biologically wired to exist in relationship with other people. This is true of both evolutionary biology and Christianity. We are, we are just wired to be in relationship. And I think we are living in an era of self-sufficiency of self-reliance of you have to make your own way. You have to get there all on your own. And I just think it's totally antithetical to the gospel um, of actually needing each other. I think self-reliance is a myth. And so anyway, I, I was talking about all this research to Seth one day, and I told him, I'm going to write a book about this because people need to understand that we're missing this crucial piece of relationship. And Seth said to me, Heather, it's just not that easy. And when he said that, I said, okay, I need you to write this book with me because I am writing very much from my perspective and my husband is much more introverted than me, much more cautious than me, has had a lot more experiences that have caused him to be cautious. And I thought I'm going to alienate an entire group of people if you don't write this with me because people need to hear you say things that I could never be heard saying. And so I was so honored when he decided that he would write this book with me and share some of his stories. I don't know if you want to add to that, Seth. Yeah, no. Um, I, I think that, I mean, you definitely nailed it there. Uh, for me, just being asked by Heather to be a part of this, honestly, it was hard, but it was, man, it was really healing in a way because I had to I had to really grapple and wrestle with certain things as anybody does. Um, It's so easy to go through life and ignore things that you've been through or choices you've done in the past. And then you kind of just time moves on and you go. But when she asked me to write this book, I didn't realize that I was actually going to have such a hard time because there's something different um, than just numbing yourself with a TV show or keeping yourself busy But when you're writing a book and you're having to dig deep down in your heart and in your thoughts and access and process, uh, certain emotions came up. And so for me, um, I'm really privileged to have been asked to write this book with Heather. And also, I I feel like I've come out better on the other side, even though it was an interesting and hard process at times. Hmm. Yeah, I I, I mean, I love Um, Well, first of all, the book is I'll See You Tomorrow, Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit. And I love the book. It's really great. Thank you so much. And it was great to, um, co-authoring is is challenging. And, um, but I love how you did it because you you have both of your voices and both of your perspectives and it comes through. And I do think what you're talking about, that balance, Heather, that, that comes out because if it's just one voice. Yes. There is another side. I love how you said, um, well, you write, my wife, Heather, and I couldn't be more different. While we're writing this book, I tweeted, my wife's writing process, candle burning, cup of tea, total elegance, single tear streams down her cheek. My writing process, Adderall, Red Bull, music blasting, (laughs) empty cookie carton, slight feelings of rage as I access past trauma, pacing. (laughs) Are we we unequally yoked? I cracked up at that. That was uh, well, well done. And that's very but yeah, true. there was that difference. Yeah. And, but then you say, uh, it's like, uh, actually on that same page, um, Heather's quick to shout from the sideline, get back up. 
I, I will whisper in your ear, it's okay to stay down. Mm-hmm. So that I knew right away that you were going to have that balancing kind of perspective. Um, it's sort of like, and I think you even say every, you need, you need both, right? You need both yeah. of, of you guys to, to make this happen. So, um, so, okay. So you wrote this book because you felt like the, the the relationships are central, and you you quote a, a lot of great uh, statistics and studies that are done to show how important that is. But yet you chose, in, I think, in some way to say, well, at least by by the title, which comes from that Michael Jordan quote, yeah. that something about "I'll see you tomorrow," like that that resiliency. What made you choose to say this is the this is the angle we want to take, or the or the thing we want to stress? I th- it was honestly watching the docu-series, um, the docu-series, The Last Dance about Michael Jordan's Last story, yeah. and I'll just share it really quickly. They It's before the Bulls became the Bulls, right? And they finally make it to the playoffs, and they're facing off against Orlando Magic. And there's this scene in the docu-series where they're so excited, they go to the playoffs, they face off against Orlando Magic, and then they lose, and so everybody's devastated and defeated. And, and after the game, they start walking off the court because the season's over. And Michael Jordan's trainer, Tim Grover, turns to Michael Jordan and he says, hey, man, just let me know when I'll see you. And Jordan looks at him and says, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. And so the idea is that the reason Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan is because when everybody else went home, he always went back to the gym. He didn't see it as a finite game, but as an infinite season. We, it's going to keep going, right? We're going to get back in this thing. And I just thought, man, we're living in a culture right now where everything is so easily finite, such as if you say something I don't like, if, some, if we have one incident, now I say you're a toxic person right? We love Mm -hmm. the word toxic. Everybody's saying, everybody's toxic. Everybody's a narcissist. And it's not that those things aren't true. That is a reality. (laughs) There are toxic people. There are narcissists. But I think if we, words mean things. And so if we keep overusing those words to simply describe like an interaction I didn't like, or somebody who hurt my feelings, man, we're going to miss the ability to be in relationship with anybody at all. Because the reality is the only thing you are ever going to have in common with the person next to you for sure is that neither of you will be perfect. Mm. Right. And here's what I know for myself. I've been the bad friend. That's just the truth. I've been the jealous friend. I've been the bitter friend. I've been the person who forgot to call you on that important anniversary. And I just forgot, right? I've been there. And so I'm so grateful for friends who never isolated me to my worst moment. And I I just want to remind people that part of being in relationship is this thing that's required of us called energy and grace and showing back up for one another. Seth and I, it's like a joke in our house now where if we're arguing, Seth will just say, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> like we're going to table this. We're going to table this conversation, but I'm still in this with you. Right. Mm. I'm not going anywhere. I want to keep showing up for you. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And, and that, that's stressed throughout, um, throughout the book is that, that idea that I, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'll, I'll, I'm staying with this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. Our culture has really shifted. And it's a cancel culture. We, you know, we know that. Right. We know that people, boy, it doesn't take much. But the strong emphasis on relationships, I, I really, really appreciate that. 
Um, I teach a course at Friends University, an undergraduate course that every every student has to take, so they're stuck with me. In this. But it's called The Good Life, and the one sort of takeaway from the whole class is really the good life is about relationships. Yes. I mean, every that, and you guys quote that Carnegie Mellon yes. um, study that said past research has shown that inv- individuals with supportive and rewarding relationships have better mental health, higher levels of subjective well-being, and lower rates of morbidity and mortality. I mean, it's just obvious, you know, that it's so I love that you're 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 talking about tenacity and no quit, but also how crucial relationships are. What what surprised you in the process of of the research and and the writing and the discuss I imagine you guys had a lot of discussions too. You know, I think kind of what Seth, you might have a different answer to this, but I think for me, what has been surprising for me is that is how I've had so many messages from people saying, I bought the book and it's sitting on my nightstand because I'm afraid Mm -hmm. to read it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I, I intend to buy the book, but I haven't yet because I just don't think I'm there. So I think what I misread was how, how hard it is for us to even have a conversation like this in our country right now, because there are so many people who are legitimately still in pain Mm -hmm, based on mm -hmm. something that they've experienced in a relationship. And so so what I keep telling people is, Hey, like, I I don't ever want to minimize what somebody has gone through. And I, I think if people read the book, they know that that is never what we're doing. What I do want and what my prayer, at least for my life always is, is God, like help me get through this season with my heart Mm -hmm. still soft toward you and still soft toward my neighbor. What is that going to look like? It doesn't mean I'm not having boundaries on myself or boundaries on relationships that aren't healthy for me, but I do, I want to live out an authentically Christian life. I want to have a soft heart toward, I want to give compassion to myself and compassion to the person around me. And I think that is what the book I hope leaves you with at the end of it. But I think I was, i I didn't expect how difficult it would be for ev- for people to even want to have a conversation about relationships right now at all. Yeah, just to add to what Heather's saying, um, I think writing this book has definitely created a deeper sense of awareness. Um, yeah. And I'll give you two examples of how this has impacted me in the reality of where we are, just to add to what Heather's saying. Um, in the public speaking courses, that are that I'm teaching each semester, they share a story from their life for their first speech, really just to warm them up. Um, and they just share essentially how it's symbolic of who they are today, a short speech, but they share a story from their life. And that's the most significant part uh, of just getting up front and doing that. And I am shocked every semester at what even these 18 year old students, 19 year old students have been through in their life. And I'm like, how are you even in this classroom right now after Mm -hmm. what you've been through? And then another thing I just got done with this a few weeks ago, do a grief share group for the other course that I'm helping out uh, for a different school. And it's over Zoom. It's an online course. And so we meet in smaller cohorts, break up the class and pick a session and share a grief story from their life. And I am shocked. And it doesn't have to be a physical loss. It can be the loss of a relationship, a betrayal, whatever their deepest hurt is in their life um, in the course as part of the requirement for it. And I am, again, I'm shocked 
at what these students have been through in their life. I'm like, you guys are nursing students and you're moving forward and you have just been through this. It blows my mind. I'm like, I don't, I don't think that I, I could be where you are right now. I, cause I don't think I could having gone what you've been through. So every time um, I reflect now over what we've written in the book and I think about the real stories, 50, 75 of them, a hundred of them, actually every semester that I'm listening to between the grief and the, sh- uh, sharing our story, part of the speech, I am I am truly reminded that this is really, really hard work. It's yeah. really hard work. And so I get it. Heather and I were at first when we were getting these messages about, hey, I I mean, the messages we get sometimes are like, I need to go see a therapist. Yeah. I'm like, man. So, yeah, go ahead, Heather. No, I'm just affirming you. Oh, okay. Sorry, I do yeah. that sometimes. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's just, it's just a reminder that you know, something I often say is from Brene Brown. She says, if you numb one area of your life, you end up numbing all other areas of your life. And so at some point, I don't know what that space looks like. If it's meeting with a therapist, if it's meeting with a trusted family member, a friend, a significant other, we, I think we need to start even just start saying, yeah, I, I have some numb areas in my life and I have been hurt. And we don't always, we might not be ready to sit down in one sitting and read the entire book, but maybe just to start to acknowledge that I have been through some things that have shut me down in my life, I think is a really good place to start. And that work right there may take months or even years before you can turn a chapter of this book to the next yeah. chapter. Yeah. And it's, but it's so important. It's and so important. you talk about, um, you talk about finding your jewel. Um, yeah. Heather, yeah. So this is now we're, we're that, that's from the Duchess, right? That's that was your, this is your story. Yes. Do, do I need to call you that? Is the that, jewel. I don't know if I if I'm supposed to yeah say Duchess, but we're gonna leave um, that part in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, you talk about uh, I I love this line you used. To, Who are you sharing your internal scripts with? Yeah. You have to share them. These internal stories we tell ourselves will eat us alive if we don't seek outside perspective. This has been really huge in the work I've been doing for the last decade is talking about narrative construction and mm. how and deconstruction. And, you know, how do we develop these stories? And uh, you mentioned Brene Brown, mm-hmm, Seth, but mm-hmm. I, one of my favorites, I think of this story all the time, but she told this story about um, being on vacation with her husband and they were swimmers in college and she was excited that they were going to get to swim alone in this lake. And she had this, these romantic expectations and during the whole swim, he was completely preoccupied and she was, and kind of, she thought blowing her off. And, and finally she, she said this line, let me tell you the story I'm telling myself. Mm. And I, I, that line of what, you know, the stories we tell ourselves, those internal scripts, as you guys put it. Um, and turned out her husband had had a nightmare the night before that, that a a motorboat was like had run over their kids when they were out swimming. Hmm. Um, And so he was, he was having a panic attack is whatever, but she was telling herself another story. Like he doesn't love me anymore. I'm not rocking the speedo like I used to or what she, she was telling a story that wasn't true. And, and it was in the, in communication as as when he shared what was going on. And I just love how you phrase that, you know, who are you sharing these scripts with? It's not easy to find the right person to do it with, but um, we need, we need to. And my wife and I do it all the time. We'll have these sort of checkups and go, let me tell you the story I'm telling myself because yeah. it's, it's so crucial. It, it's a way that we heal. Um, it's a way that we make sense of loss. It's a way that we 
would make sense of pain and disappointment that we've been through. If the only script we're telling ourselves is the one that's rolling over in our head, it's, it's really easy. One of the things in the grief group um, th- that often comes up is I blame myself. I blame myself, mm. um, yeah. especially when it comes to, and I'm going to say, you know, really sensitive topics uh, like suicide and things um, that go, if I would have just called and if I would have just, you know, like I had no idea they were struggling with this. And so they isolate themselves. And when they come into these groups, it's, it's the first time, like people are sharing for the first time in a small group, like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And it's just a beautiful thing to see eight other people unmute themselves and go, it's not your fault. It's, mm-hmm. it's not your fault. You did have no idea. You were a good friend. You were a good parent to, to your son or your daughter. You, you know, it, X, Y, and Z, fill it in for whatever the situation is um, for the listener today. Maybe it's not your fault. And so that is why we need community because these scripts that we tell ourselves can get really twisted in our own minds. And then we end up believing them. It becomes the reality um, to which we live. And it's, very damaging um, to our mm-hmm. health and, and our relationships in life and our quality of life. So I'm right on board with you. Something I mm-hmm. say to my students is how many of you would be friends with somebody who talked to you the way you talk to yourself? Yeah. Oh, wow. I use that one. I did that. Do did, you? I had an, yes. Yeah. It was on a list of like uh, questions that um, m- m- my wife and I, just printed off these like questions to talk about on a date. And that one, I hit that one. I went, this is not a fun question. Like, who would you have dinner with? If you, you know, those fun. Dinner oh, questions. Yes. This one was like deep, like, you know, <laughs> say that when say that again, cause it's really profound. Yeah. How many of you listening would be friends with somebody who spoke to, spoke to you the way you speak to yourself. And the reality is that most of us would say boundary. Mm-hmm. You can't talk right. to me like that. I can't, sure. this is a toxic relationship, right? Yeah. But right. this I'm, is I'm what we do to, to ourselves. Yeah. And then yeah. it's, of course, if we treat ourselves that way, those things then carry into the way that we present in relationship with other people. If I feel insecure about something within myself, I might perceive you to be a threat to me in an area that you are actually not a threat to me, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm not able to be honest with somebody about what I'm experiencing or what I'm feeling or how I'm processing, man, it gets, the the difficult thing is, I, I just feel like this with God a lot where it's like, I would love to have just kind of like these private affair relationship with just me and God, right? Like, I don't want to have to need somebody else, Lord. Can it just be you and I? And for whatever reason, he has designed us in a way to have to co-labor and work with one another. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. when somebody says, I saw God, they didn't see God. They saw the image of God in you, right? Mm -hmm. You answered the prayer because the Holy Spirit prompted you to answer somebody else's prayer. And then they don't walk away saying, Heather saved me. They say, I saw God. Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. heard my prayer. It's like this incredible opportunity as human beings that we get to have to get to be image bearers. God has always been invisible because he chooses to be seen through his people. Mm -hmm. And we have got to start revealing the image of God because they are saying, where is your God? I don't see him. That's not Mm -hmm. an indictment on God. It's an indictment on the church. Mm. It means we are no longer bearing his image. And that's, by the way, a relational image. When God Mm. describes himself, it's in the Trinity. It's in relationship. 
And we are supposed to be in the image of God. We are supposed to be in a relational image with one another. I, I just can't say this enough. It matters. Mm. And the mm. division that we're experiencing is not an accident. It is absolutely an attack by the enemy. And we have got to find people and prioritize our relationships. Yeah, absolutely. It is It is so crucial. I mean, I was thinking about Frederick Nietzsche, who was raised by a Lutheran pastor dad, but his dad got cancer and, and died and he saw him suffer and he rejected God. But later he was confronted by some Christians and he said, I would believe in your redeemer if your life was more redeemed. Mm. And it's similar to Gandhi's thing yeah, about, I would believe yeah. in your Christ if you were more Christian. So that you're right, that what what we see or how, how, how we're, we are the image bearers. Yes. And, and if we can demonstrate what that is like to people, it's just so transforming and so incredibly needed. So Seth, let me, let me pivot to you if that's okay. Sure. So you, man, you're really vulnerable in chapter two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I love that. I mean, it, it was very, it was, you know, painful to read some of the things that you shared about the struggles and, and the challenge you have with trust. And, but yeah, I mean, and the stuff with your dad, can you talk about, about that? I mean, that story of your mom going to church and I'll just let you tell it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, writing this book has been and that's what I was mentioning earlier towards the beginning of this. It's been a journey and it's been healing um, because it was a way for me to to process things that maybe I just wouldn't have without putting it onto paper or at least typing it into the computer. So I, I want to encourage before I share my story, just uh, for whoever is listening, that you need to find those places so that you can get out things that you've been through so that you can begin to make sense of them. It's just really important. And again, that's why we need community. Uh, so... My mother, um, she was a young mother, and she was married to my father. Three of us, I was the middle child, and things weren't going well in their marriage. And essentially, long story short, she decided after a lot of fighting, I'll go more into detail in the book, uh, he was portraying a lifestyle that she didn't want for us. She had went somewhere during her sophomore year of high school to a Christian school, and that was really had a huge impact on her life and it, and it kind of stuck with her. And so several years later, she, uh, her and my dad got together and they, you know, us three boys came along and that year of her being in that Christian school uh, just really stuck with her, made this impression. And she wanted more of the, this, who God was. She wanted to know more of who God was. And so she was wrestling with this kind of, uh, you know, a lot of marriages go like this she was wanting something different. He necessarily wasn't wanting that. And so she made a decision to leave my father at a very young age. And I tell this story, one of the first times she decided to actually go back to church with us three boys and on her own. And my father wasn't happy necessarily about that decision, um, probably because, you know, go to church, you find support, and then the things that happen in the dark are no longer in the dark. And so people don't like that sometimes when people seek those circles of support. Uh, so backing out of the driveway, there's my father clinging, literally jumps on the hood of the car and clinging to it and saying, if you're going to go, you're going to have to go with me on the hood of your car. And my mother, if you met my mother, um, you know, it was, 
it was, I had no idea that she was going to do this, right? We were just little boys. And so she, long story short, she continues to put the car in reverse and back out our long country road driveway. I can still picture our house there. Uh, and then as she hits, backs out onto the road, puts it in drive, you know, a few exchange of words. She has the window crack, get off the hood of my car, Cecil. I'm not getting off. And then there she goes and she goes continues and he goes off into the ditch. Uh, he wasn't hurt. He was fine. And so, um, you know, what I've learned from that story, because that was really a defining moment um, for my mother. And then it uh, trickled down to, of course, us three boys, because I wish that I could tell you that that decision of her to have this Oh, I'm going to deepen my, my faith experience. God, I don't, I don't really know you, but I want to know you. I've experienced you. I want this for my boys. I want to, I want them to grow up knowing you, but whatever thoughts were going through her mind as that car pulled away and, and my father was rolling into that ditch. Um, life didn't get easier. You would think that following Jesus and mm. doing something you felt convicted of would mean that the road is all of a sudden this straight wide paved road, but actually we had less money. We had to move into government, uh, you know, housing. Um, she was trying to go back to school. Uh, so she worked like three jobs and then we ended up moving down after she finished her generals to where actually Heather and I are teaching now at Andrews University, about four hours away from where I was born and living at the time. And then uh, she had to, again, pick up three jobs, continue her education and it was really hard, to be honest, even as a young middle schooler, as we were getting a little bit older, I was like, man, you know, we just don't have a lot of financial resources and saw my mom struggle to pay the bills. And here's what I've learned uh, from writing the story, just kind of came out on paper, that sometimes, this is the lesson my mother taught me, sometimes waiting for the ideal shouldn't keep you from doing what's possible. In our lives and in my life, listener, maybe you can relate. I have wasted so much time sitting idle, going, this isn't perfect. My father wasn't there. I had a brother who passed away from cancer. I failed out of college three times. No way can I go back for a fourth time. And I would begin to just line up the things that weren't right in my life. And rightly so. Those were deep pains and traumas and things that I needed to deal with through counseling. But you know what? I let it just keep me idle. And I will tell you, I will tell you, my journey and my entire life trajectory, um, I wouldn't be here had I not met Heather. And this is why relationships, and it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Mine just happened to be my wife. So seeing my mom do what's possible. And when my wife said, Seth, I think that you can go back to school. Three times already failing out of college. I was just in a, in a deep... Uh, time of grief, honestly, and I didn't understand that at the time uh, fully until now. And so having someone sit by you and say, you can do this, I believe in you and helping you to build the sense of self-efficacy within yourself by saying, hey, why don't you start at one class at a time or two classes at a time? Ideally, I should have graduated high school and went back to school or went to college with all of my friends and you know, done my bachelor's degree in four years. It took me like eight years and I failed out 
several times in between that. So I didn't do the ideal. I did the possible. Mm -hmm. And so life often takes the ideal from us. And I think so many of us, and Bill Gates says this, I believe, Heather, I think you said this in one of your podcasts or someone quoted it. um, People overestimate what they can accomplish in one year, but underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years, if that was Bill Gates. And so Mm -hmm. I truly believe that in my life. And so doing the possible is saying, where can I be in 10 years and maybe not a year from now? And so uh, having people in your life to encourage you and looking at the examples of people who have done really hard things is important. So surrounding ourselves in a community that can uplift us and we can listen to their stories is crucial and vital to us healing and moving forward in life. Mm, yeah. And life-saving, really. I mean, Absolutely. In, in this case. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. So honestly, it, I, I think that that vulnerability opens up other people to, 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 to trust and say, I mean, in one of my undergraduate classes, we were just kind of sharing honestly one day and he just said, man, I feel lonely. I, I have, mm-hmm. I really struggle mm-hmm. with loneliness. And that just opened up the whole class. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 I looked over and one girl was crying and then mm-hmm. suddenly everybody started talking and I went, his courage to just say he's lonely um, allowed others to sort of yes. open up and, and say, okay, let's talk about this. And so very, that's very profound. So chapter three, Heather, this is you, right? You're writing most of chapter three, right? Yes. About running with the Tarahumara. Yeah. I don't know if I say it right. Was I close? Yeah. Tell the story about that, about, about, cause you, I, I connect with, well, you write uh, for years, my self-worth came not from who I was, but what I could produce. Mm. If I was pushing, I had purpose. I didn't believe that God could love me if I didn't prove that, that I was lovable. That is spot on my own story. But yeah, tell us about what you learned and, and you write about in that chapter. So I've recently, my only because now I'm in therapy, my therapist told me, you realize you're a perfectionist, right? And I would have never used that word to describe myself, which is apparently quintessential perfectionism is because it, you would you never feel good enough, right? You never Mm. feel like, huh? Like I would never think of that. Um, I just, one of my mentors, his name is Jose Rojas. And I just remember he said to me one day, you know, you're going to get there a lot quicker if you slow down. And Mm. he said, Heather, you have all the talent, what you need and can never rush is experience. And Mm. that Honestly, he said this to me probably four years ago and it just, it, it clicked and it changed how I saw myself because sometimes like a student will be like, you've written eight books. And I now, because I'm more self-aware, I'm able to say to them, somebody who's written eight books is somebody who's deeply trying to prove that they are worthy (laughs) of something. Right. Like, so I, I, I'm learning in my life. This has been the first season up until like a couple of weeks ago that I, I wasn't writing anything because it's okay because I'm learning to just be me and that being me is enough. And that I don't have to write another book to prove that God loves me or to prove that God has favor with me. Right. Like some of the most beautiful things we will ever do and the most important things we'll ever do. No one will ever see. It'll be me sitting in an office with my student that nobody will ever know the conversation that we had. That's the upside down kingdom that we're a part of. And I just, I'm, I like talking about this openly because you and I both, we serve this next generation of students and I see it so much in them. I probably because of social media, this deep need to be important 
And I, I just think if, if all of us are trying to be important, none of us are going to be able to be ourselves. And so mm. I am coming to a place where I'm, I'm having to be comfortable being myself, right? And trying to put things into perspective and put things into order. And you'll get there quicker if you slow down. You have to give yourself space to even think because so many of us are just surviving that it's impossible to even recognize like the Holy Spirit's presence even in your life because you're rushing to the next appointment. You're rushing. I mean, th just think about social media and how it works. If I am constantly having to produce content in order to raise myself in the algorithm, is it any longer that even God has said anything to me? Is it any longer that I even have something worth saying? Or am I producing content to produce content? And I, I see this so much in this next generation. So I'm really passionate about um, just being honest about my own journey and hopefully inspiring a lot of us to slow down and be present where we are and be faithful in the season and the position that we have right now without looking for something more to make us something. Preach it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. This, this is a new thing going on with yeah. social media and unprecedented, at least in my lifetime of thinking, well, I've never seen this. It's the and greatest technological shift in 500 years. So think about that. It's the greatest communication shift we've ever experienced. And the ramifications are deep. Yeah. And yeah. And it, it seems to me our technology is always four or five steps ahead of ethics. Like we don't really, yes. we don't, I mean, well, we have this internet. Oh, do you know there's going to be cyberbullying? No, we hadn't thought about that. Is right. that possible? Yeah. It's actually going to happen. So, I mean, we, yeah, we don't know. And then it, it looks wonderful and it has great benefits, yes. but downside is, is oh real. my gosh. Yeah. It's really real. Yeah. I mean, how to, how to use it responsibly. Very, very challenging. You know, I, I think the, the big takeaway I, I, from the book is obviously it's this idea of, of don't quit. Yeah. And, and you, you stress that several times with stories about not being invited to this or being betrayed by a friend or something happening and think, well, I'm going to define the whole relationship on that that one thing and I'm going to quit because of that. And it's like, no, stay with it. Stay with it. Don't. And I think everyone listening probably can relate to that because we've all had those moments where a friend has done something or we got cut out of something. And it's like, oh yeah, well to heck with you. Yeah. And this is over, <laughs> but it's no, I'm, I'm not quitting. Um, I, I think that's, that's just a powerful message. And that's why I hope everybody, you know, goes and buys. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, it's just, it's a great book. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pleased that you guys have done the work because I know how hard it is to write a book. It's mm -hmm. really hard. It's amazing how we keep doing it because it is that, that challenging. Let me close with this question. What are your hopes for the book? I mean, you kind of talked about that earlier. Moving forward, what do you, what are your hopes for, for what the book can do? You know what? I think... My hope for the book is that somebody decides not to quit on themselves because I can't tell you how strong, I mean, a 20 year Harvard study found that more, more than the food you eat, the exercise program you are on or the genes you've inherited, there is no greater determinant to your health than your relationships with other people. I mean, it is, it is so important. I'm not kidding. I'm, people think I'm being dramatic, but no, like this is biology. You are wired to exist in relationship with other people. Don't quit on yourself. 
You are worthy of love. You are worthy of relationship. You are worthy of belonging. And so let's seek out safe spaces to engage in relationship because it's so crucial to how you see the rest of your life. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I would just add to that. Uh, hopefully for anyone who reads the book is that they can somehow find a meaning again, uh, something that will drive them to want to engage if it's a new relationship or repair a relationship, that they'll find some deep meaning in doing that, um, that they'll again seek this sense of, yeah, I am worth this. And actually there's a grief counselor or expert in grief, David Kessler, um, for anyone who's going, oh, this is just too far out of reach. I, I feel like my situation is hopeless. Um, when people ask him, the lady once asked him, uh, if I cry, I, I, I don't think that I'll stop, essentially. And he says, listen, if you cry, everyone will stop at some point. You won't cry forever. And we can't understand that in the moment. Mm -hmm. But as Heather mentioned, the, the point and the reason why we need community is and just reiterating what's been said already is that you need people in your life to see a future that you sometimes can't see for yourself. Yeah. And so finding that meaning for yourself, sometimes we can't. So having a circle of people around you sometimes can be the meaning for you as they see a future and a path that you just can't, you honestly can't see whatever you're in is too deep. And so I hope uh, that someone who reads this book just finds hope again for their life, that even if they actually don't feel it, um, they'll reach out to someone and let someone feel it for them. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Those are both really good. Well, they, that's, that was the impact reading the book had on me. So, oh, so glad. I think, I think you guys are done. You don't have to do anything else. Thank it's you. over. You've accomplished it. <laughs> Cause I, yeah, I mean, I did feel all, all the, both of the things that you guys are saying you hope uh, that the book would do. So, you, you did it for at least one reader. Thank so that's good. So yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the podcast today. And uh, again, listeners, go out and get this book. I'll see you tomorrow. It's, a, it's really, really great. Blessings on you guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Heather and Seth. That was just fantastic. And I hope you check out the book that they co-authored. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, folks, I want to let you know about a recent development here at Friends University where I teach. We have an undergraduate degree program in Christian spiritual formation, a Bachelor of Arts degree, that's both a first and a second major. Now, I teach in this program, as well as some other amazing professors, and I am pleased to announce that Friends University is offering an amazing scholarship of up to $18,000 per year to students interested in studying Christian formation as a part of their college experience. In addition to this amazing scholarship, there'll be hands-on learning with ministry leaders, working with me and others, and great opportunities for internships. Again, this is for both a first major, those who plan on going into ministry, as well as those seeking it as a second major, meaning those who are going to become accountants or therapists or graphic designers or teachers or engineers, any number of other vocations, but they also want to grow in their spiritual lives while in college and get a pretty big scholarship to help pay for college. So if you know someone who would benefit from a degree like this, check out our website, ApprenticeInstitute.org and click on the Friends University tab. Again, ApprenticeInstitute.org and click on the Friends University tab. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast 
And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.